the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back as we head into Hour 2, Monday, March 8th. We check in with Brandon Weikert. He is the publisher of the Weikert Report, theweikertreport.com, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. That's how he spells his last name. He's the author of one of the more important books from last year, Winning Space, How America Remains a superpower. Brandon, welcome back. How are you, sir? Well, thank you. I am uh, getting over a uh, bout of Crohn's flare-up, in which the doctors told me, don't eat for a week. And so I am uh, back to being able to eat again, and uh, a, a beautiful day down here in southwest Florida, and so I'm enjoying the great outdoors and recuperating. Okay. I'm glad to hear you're doing better. You're on the mend. Good. I am, yes. Not eating for a week, my gosh. How do you do that? Do you, yes. do you, do you... It, it is, I don't think the doctor really understood what he was saying when he <laughs> said it, but I, 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 I followed the orders, and now I am, I am back. Uh, so. you, you can take balance of nature. Um, I would highly recommend yes. it. Highly yes, recommend. I'm looking into that, actually. Please yes. do, please do. Use discount yes. code BALANCE if you order it. Uh, oh, I will. Yeah, yeah, will. yeah. It's, it's a great product. I take it every day. Okay, Brandon, talk to me about the international scene. I have questions about um, – I have – well, I, this story was kind of interesting to me, and I don't know that it um, that it necessarily would have crossed your radar screen or not. I just I, – whenever I have you on, I do two things. I, 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 I Google um, Iran and I Google China. And then I just see what the latest stories are on both of them, <laughs> yeah. which isn't a bad way to, to learn about what they're up to, because you're not going to get right. the stories in the mainstream media much anymore. You're not. You're going to find it at my website. Yeah. You're going to find it you know, on some of the Salem Network uh, affiliates, and uh, you're not going to really find it many other places. So, yeah. What is that about, by the way? Is it that foreign, foreign journalists... Um, I know. I know. About ten years ago, a lot of them were cutting back their foreign stations, their yeah. their stations abroad, so they did less reporting internationally. Or do they yeah. think people don't care anymore? Or what is it? Why is it so hard I, to get? I think it's more a business decision. Uh, I think people just don't really care. Um, I just think people don't really care as much as they used to about international relations. I think it's a bad business decision, though, because, you know, if a war breaks out, suddenly they're going to care. And so uh, it's sort of it, it's just an unfortunate thing where they assume most of their audience wants to know about local things, wants to know about, you know, domestic politics and things like that. And so they they don't really put an emphasis. It's sort of a specialization. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's it's I think it's a bad business decision, but that's the decision they've gone with. And and. We have a lot of people who aren't being told that we're on the brink of a major war in the Middle East right now. I mean, it could go hot at any moment, and it will involve Americans. 
Well, you uh, and, uh, you know. wrote about this recently, um, taking yes. off on something errant that Mike Pompeo said. Uh, ta- walk us through that because um, yeah, it's 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 kind of interesting. There's a lot of um, cross currents here. Walk us through this. Yeah. So, just for the record, I am a big Mike Pompeo supporter. Same here. You know, yeah. and so it was it was more just a little critique I was giving. Yeah. Um, Basically, there were two. There was a comment that John Kirby made, and he's currently the Pentagon spokesman for the Biden administration. And he was referencing the recent airstrikes that the Biden administration launched against uh, Iranian-backed Qatayeb Hezbollah uh, militias in uh, Iraq. And he kept Kirby kept saying Shiite-backed militias, and the foreign reporter in the audience. Three different occasions said, uh, you, you mean to say Iranian bat? And Kirby said, no, Shiite bat. Huh. And, and so I was sitting there stunned, and I was beginning to write an article about that. But then that reminded me of some of the ham-fisted language Pompeo used at the end of the Trump administration when he was saying that Iran is the home base, new home base for al-Qaeda. And so I began to write this article, which is now the front page at my website, how, you know, both parties, for whatever reason, at least on the messaging, are getting the Iranian situation wrong. And so with Pompeo, he wasn't wrong in that al-Qaeda and the Taliban and other Sunni jihadist groups are using Iranian territory as a safe haven and as a place from which to conduct attacks against U.S. forces and allied forces into Iraq and beyond and into Afghanistan. But the Iranian government lets them do that, but they are not partnered with al-Qaeda. The Iranian government, they're Islamists, but they're Shiite Islamists. So they don't like Sunni Islamists. They'll use them to kill Americans, but they're not partners. They're just as likely to go after al-Qaeda and ISIS as as we are. Um, And and so that was sort of a, a little thing that I was critiquing Pompeo on. The larger problem I had was with Kirby, because he was basically saying all of the Shiites in the region are terrorists. And I thought that was a very dumb thing to say. And as the official government spokesman speaking on the matter, I thought it was very bad because actually Iran's regime is a radical Shiite regime. And yet the number one victims on a daily basis of that regime in Iran are other Shiites who oppose politically the regime there. We have natural allies, I think, in many of the dissidents who are protesting in Iran who happen to be Shiite Muslims. They just don't agree with their government. And so I think when you're casting that kind of wide aspersion, you have to be very careful because there's a lot of soft power we could be using to win over support from dissidents in Iran. And you don't want to have the official government, American government spokesman, insisting, no, Shiite-backed militias. That's not what they were. They have Hezbollah, yes, they're Shiites, but they're Iranian government-backed. They're IRGC-backed. Just because they're Shiites doesn't mean that they're, you know, that's just a very dangerous thing if you're trying to win friends and allies over there behind enemy lines, you don't want to start insulting everybody normally, you know? Yeah, Ronald Reagan tried to distinguish, not tried, did distinguish often between the Soviet Union and the Soviet citizens, the Soviet leadership and the Soviet citizens who were their prisoners, right? This is what you're talking about. And Pompeo was very good with the China issue of always separating uh, the CCP from the Chinese people. And in my new book... And maybe I didn't do it well enough. I'll see what the editor says. I really tried to make a distinction between 
the Iranian people per se and their government. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, 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 um, you know, it's a hard distinction to make, but I think it's an important one, especially if you're, you're talking about the official government people and our government making these, these statements. You don't want to alienate, you know, groups that could actually be on your side. Which I thought a lot of them were in 2009. That was my sense of the reporting I could yes. access. Yes, and you know we do until until frankly until frankly Obama put them all in one category. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And this is the thing. And so you know we don't. So the Biden administration right now appears intent on they just gave almost six billion dollars to the Mullahs. Uh, you know they appear intent on building out Iran as a regional, uh, ex- widely accepted. Uh, player, and I just think this is crazy. It would be akin to us giving up on the containment strategy in the Soviet Union, you know, in the 1970s. Uh, you know, this is just this is nuts. And what we should be doing, and I, we've spoken about this before. This is the basis of my new book. Uh, what we should be doing, even though they're not necessarily the best allies, we should be empowering the Saudis, should be empowering the other Sunni uh, states to link up with Israel and to form kind of a Middle East NATO. And to contain Iran, because I really think if we can contain Iran the way we contain the Soviet Union, that it will die, that regime, the same way the Soviet regime did. Because the people in Iran are the ones suffering the way the Soviet people were. They are not all on board with the Iranian Islamic Republic's, you know, method of doing things. They're just under their thumb. And so if you contain that country, you put the pressure on and you never let it up until that regime breaks. The people there will overthrow, I think, uh, that regime in the same way that the peoples of Eastern Europe uh, and even Russia itself did to the Soviet Union in the final days of the Cold War. And that's the strategy we need to contain Iran, which I think is a miniature Soviet Union with an Islamist square. But isn't the problem part of the problem anyway, Brandon? Isn't part of the problem that the dissidents who took off their chains in the late in the early 90s and the late 80s, they had a little support from the United States. Moral, messaging, some financial. And I just, I'm going to break. I I don't see a lot of that happening right now. Right. I, I have been begging right. for it. Um, I, yeah. I, 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 I'd like to believe, I'm going to go to break and let you respond on the other side if that's cool with you. I'd like to believe that the regime is teetering. I've been told for 20 years it is. I've been told it just needs a little push and shove, a little help from us. And all I see from Democratic administrations is giving billions of dollars to it, which isn't the push and shove I had in mind. Talk to me about that when we come back. We'll be right back with more from Brandon Weikert, and you can uh, talk to him too. He'll take your calls and questions, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. I guess we're going to have to be careful with all the foreign language stuff we do on this show now that uh, Speedy Gonzalez is out, too. Brandon, did you know Speedy Gonzalez is out now? They're going to. And Pepe Le Pew. Yeah, yeah. Dennis Prager said. I, I was doing this thought experiment. Um, um, I said, if you're on the city council of Darfur and you're trying to take up the issues of 
racial warfare and discrimination and all the rest, which has led to, obviously, in places like Darfur, huge problems, tons of dead people and the like. And you said, well, let's go to a fact-finding mission to the United States. They're systemically racist, but they, you know, they're enlightened and they're wealthy and they're smart. And let's see how they do things. And they got to the embassy in D.C. and asked, so what are you guys dealing with on racism in your systemically racist country this week? They said, well, we're going after Dr. Seuss and Speedy Gonzalez. (laughs) They'd go back not realizing... (laughs) <laughs> they'd been had that we don't know what racism is i think i think uh we are an unserious people in a very serious time and uh believe it or not what you're talking about with these these cartoon characters being canceled actually is is a slightly uh a, a, a very significant example of the kind of unseriousness that we behave with uh on foreign policy uh, and yeah, so, yeah. you know, there, there is a linkage, you know, culture and, and politics, yeah. uh, these things are linked. And when you look at the domestic culture of the United States and you see the stupidity, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, just the abject decadence that the supposedly even most oppressed among us live in. And then you look at what is going on in China with the Uyghurs, or you look at what's going on in the Middle East, and you just shake your head going, how can anybody honestly think? that our country is systemically anything. If anything, it's broken because of the obsession with these made-up, you know, uh, psychoses uh, and is just tearing us apart. We're supposed to be united, and instead we're being divided by the most stupid things imaginable. You know, it's, it's very sad. Well, at least, at least we know that, um, that we're so systemically racist against... Um, Mexican Americans that we um, we have to um, arrest forty five hundred of them a day for trying to get into this systemically racist country. <laughs> right? Have you noticed right. that though? I mean, it's an right. interesting thing. You've had something right. like ten million African Americans immigrate here in the past decade right. or so, decade and a half. Right. You have forty five hundred immigrants from Mexico, illegal immigrants, arrested a day, a day. Yeah on our southern border. What is it they don't know that the folks at NBC and CNN think they know? Right. Well, one of my favorite stories, uh, my, my friend Ashwin Malabi, he's an uh, Iranian-American, uh, wrote, wrote for the Washington Post for years. He's a good guy. We do the lecture circuit together. What's but his name again? Story. Ash, Ash, Ashwin Malabi. Yeah, I know who he is. And I don't know. I know who yeah, he is. A, yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he he, he tells a story that when he was in Iran for the 09 protest, he was covering it for the WAPO, and he ended up getting into a crowd where the IRGC-backed people started attacking him. And there was one gentleman in particular who was screaming, death to America, you're an American agent, blah, 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 and the cameras were filming. And my buddy, Ashton, thought he was going to die. And he said that, you know, he was trying to talk him down, you know, trying to get out. And then as soon as the camera goes off and the IRGC minders turned around and went on to something else because the chaos had stopped, the guy who was screaming death to America and you're a stooge from the CIA, he leans into my friend Ashton and he says, what do I have to do to get into the State Department lottery for immigration? Right, right. And, and I'm like, you know, and it's, it's, that's, that's, that's kind of what we're up against is, you know, 
these people that, that they, they say they hate us, they hate the government, they're the first ones who want to get into line, not necessarily to come and kill us, to come here and make some money and then bring their family members over. So we're such a systemically racist country that even our worst enemies want to move here and live the American Well, I have been particularly close when I lived in D.C. I was particularly close to a lot of the um, Iranian expat community, the immigrant community to America from Iran, uh, particularly close to them. And, um, and, you know, the things I learned, uh, not only about the culture, but, you know, just the pro-American and pro-Western sentiment that exists in, from what I understand, yeah. so much of the, shall we call it, Persian street, if you will. Right. Um, right. It, it, it really is one of the greatest divides between a people and a government when you think about how yeah. enlightened the Persian yeah. culture and society is, whether it's art, music, uh, letters, you name it. It's a highly That's educated right. and enlightened population. Very much so. Right? Very Veiled so. Yes. and covered by one of the most retrograde, backward-looking yes. regimes. It's a very right. odd dichotomy. The regime, and we've talked about this before, is a big part of my book. The regime that was helped to be put into place by Jimmy Carter yeah. and the Democrats. Right. They let him come back in, Khomeini. They brought him back after a year long of Khomeini sending flowery letters to Carter, and Carter was upset with the Shah and uh, let the Khomeini come in thinking that he could do business with an Islamist because Carter said, hey, I'm a Southern Baptist, and I'm a big believer, and this guy is a a big Islamic believer. There's a lot of similarities. We can do business against the Soviets. And it ended up being that Khomeini played Carter like a fool, played him like a fool, and we're still paying down because of that, there would have never been Khomeini and that regime if it wasn't for Carter letting him come back into the country. Robert Heiser, the the the, uh, the State Department representative on the ground, was was helping Khomeini get into the country. Not Robert, I'm sorry, that that was uh, William Sullivan. Robert Heiser was the general that we sent down to basically tell the Shah's generals, "Don't do a coup against Khomeini. Make a deal with him." And what did Khomeini do? He did not make a deal with those generals. He massacred them all overnight. And uh, that's sort of, you know, that's a snapshot of, that was our doing, okay? The Shah was not a good guy, but at least he was a modern guy. He was a modernizing, and he was doing good for that country, and he was our guy. And uh, he did not have to go, and he only went because Carter set the conditions that forced him out. I, um, I, I, in his book, Hitch 22, Christopher Hitchens has one of the great lines I'll never forget, About 1979, he wrote it this way, Brandon. He wrote, at the moment when Iran stood at the threshold of modernity, a black-winged ghoul came flapping back from exile on a French jet and imposed a version of his own dark and heavy uniform on a people too long used to being bullied and ordered around. I thought that was perfect. He is 100% correct. Uh, I loved his writing. I didn't always agree with it, but uh, he's great. And he's right about them in Iran, the Islamists. And um, it is a, you know, there is a straight line between Carter, Clinton, Bill, Bill Clinton, uh, Barack Obama, and now Joe Biden. All Carter right, draw for us when we come back. Draw that yeah, line for us when we come back and talk to us absolutely. about what we could do as a posture to try and show some kind of um, sympathy, empathy, consanguinity with the remnants of the dissident movement that I think was mostly crushed in 09, but certainly must have remnants left. We'll do that with Brandon Weikert on the other side of this break.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest, publisher of the Weikert Report. The um, I'm going to have you draw the line you spoke of in a moment, Brandon. But yeah. first, let me tell you, as if you don't know, I, so let me tell the audience, the uh, spokesman, uh, the official spokesman for the um, Department of State today said, we are and remain deeply concerned by the frequency of Houthi attacks on Saudi Arabia. Attacks like these are not the actions of a group that is serious about peace. That's what he said today. Do they understand what the Houthi movement is? Do they do they yeah. know that its motto yeah. is death to America, Allah is great, death to Israel, curse the Jews, victory to Islam? Do, do they understand who's supporting it? Do they understand who they're giving money to yeah. when they're giving money to Iran? Do they understand what yeah. they're normalizing by trying to normalize relations with Iran? Do they have any concept whatsoever? Uh, if if they do, they don't care, and here's why. And we talked about this before, and I, I think it's, it, it needs to be repeated. There is a very naive assumption on the part of the people in the Biden team and from the former Obama team who really think that Iran's just another country. They're only acting crazy, not because of the ideology of the regime, but because we put them in a box for so long that they've gone nuts. And so if we take them out of the box and we normalize them, then they will suddenly start behaving like any other country. And it's okay if they get nukes. And it's okay if we do business with them and basically give that regime in Iran a new lease on life by doing overall trade with the West, because that will in turn make Iran more like the West. And this is the same logic that undergirded Nixon and all the years of, of engagement with China. And we know how that looks. It doesn't work out as you think. Uh, and But there's a very naive belief that just by treating Iran like any other country, that they will come around. And in working them into the larger Middle East, it will actually force the Sunni Arab states and Israel to do more of America's bidding. For instance, the Democrats have a problem with Israel the way they handle Palestine, and they think the Israelis have been holding back on making a peace deal with the Palestinians. So they think that by integrating Iran, a nuclear-armed Iran possibly, it'll force the Israelis to do what the Democrats want, because the Israelis need America's protection at the end of the day. Similarly, the, the Democrats have been putting pressure on the Sunni Arab states for all the human rights violations, and they think that if we basically work the Iranians into the wider, wider region, uh, that it will force the Sunni Arabs to basically say, hey, we better do what the Americans want, because we don't want to lose them. But what they don't understand is that neither Israel nor the Sunni Arab states are going to behave as we want them to, because they're their own culture and their own country. And what they're going to do, the Israelis have already said, American Military News just had an article today about this, Israel is now preparing for a preemptive nuclear strike on Iranian nuclear facilities. And the Sunnis, for their part, uh, are preparing to basically, the Saudis in particular, to fulfill their order with the Pakistanis. In 2009, they put on back order 19 nuclear devices from the Pakistanis. The Obama administration prevented that deal from going forward and gave some kind of assurance. Well, if the Saudis think that we're cutting them loose and working Iran into the region, you can bet you the Saudis and the other Sunni states are going to get nukes. There's going to be a mad dash for proliferation, and that's a scary scenario, all because Biden and Democrats are trying to make Iran a normal country and do business with the Islamists there. It's a bad idea. It's a bad idea, and it doesn't take the JCPOA to do anything about it, I don't think. No. 
you know, you no. you can prevent all kinds. <clears throat> we've prevented all kinds of countries from becoming nuclear without JCPOA type regimes, regimens. That's right. Yeah, That's I, right. and I think it's important. Go yeah. ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I was just say, I think it's important to know that the Saudis actually don't want nukes. They've had multiple opportunities to get these sure. nukes from Pakistan, sure. and they've held back because they know the Saudi royal family understands, MBS in particular, the new, the new crown prince there, understands that the royal family's grip on power is tenuous at best, and that most of the country and a large number of the people in the country are sympathetic with al-Qaeda and ISIS. Right. And so, you know, they don't want to lose power. And we need to be aware that that regime is pro-America, but they can get overthrown. And the last thing you want is that regime being overthrown and uh, them getting nukes and then being overthrown after that and having Islamists then take over those nukes. But that's a very bad situation. Oh, yeah, no, I remember. Yeah, no, that's the kind of thing we go through with Pakistan every 10 years, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, pretty much. All right, hold that thought. I want to take some calls with you when we come back. Brandon Weikert is our guest. 602 is the number, and we will be right back. Welcome back. We are talking, as we do every Monday, with Brandon Weikert on the international scene. He's the publisher of The Weikert Report, his book from last year, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. And he has a new book that's just uh, been submitted to the publisher. We hope it comes out this fall on much of uh, the kind of thing we're talking about right now. Brandon, can I go to calls with you real quick? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Robin, surprise, you're on with Brandon Weikert. Oh, hi, Seth. Hi, uh, Brandon. Uh, always love to see when Brandon's on. I appreciate the Thank info you. and the wisdom you bring. Um, my, uh, I can't remember if it was the Federalist or Town Hall or something I read today that the Biden regime has already uh, lightened sanctions and has already wired money to Iran, uh, which, again, this goes back into the whole Neville Chamberlain appeasement, peace in our time thing that we all worry about, at least those of us who care worry about that um, is the wrong way to go at the wrong time. And I don't know. Do you know that that's true or not? Well, uh, he did hand over half, I think almost half of the $6 billion that we've been holding of Iran's money. Um, He is talking about, yeah, trying to lighten the sanctions, going easier on Iran. Um, I, I, I talked with I talked with somebody from the Washington Post yesterday who's pretty connected with the the coverage of the new administration and he told he confirmed what I have been hearing, which was that there's actually a divide in the Biden administration and you've got sort of the, the, the doves like John Kerry and Susan Rice types who really want to do engagement with both Iran and China, and then you have sort of the more hawkish elements who are more skeptical. The problem is, though, the, there, there is no kind of decisive leadership on either side. And so it's just sort of one, one foot forward, two steps back. And, um, for instance, Biden was initially two weeks ago wanting to really go after uh, Saudi Arabia for Jamal Khashoggi's murder. And then in the last week, he's walked back from that to a bit. Um, and that's all part of, I think, a larger move, move on his part 
not being sure if he wants to really go full bore into embracing Iran, because there are people even within the Biden team saying we don't want to go too fast because it could blow up in our face. And of course, everybody knows it's going to blow up in their face and therefore it's going to suck America into another war in the region when we're trying to get out. And so part of the problem is I don't think Biden quite has figured out what he wants to do, which is really kind of scary because that means he's just making it up as he goes along. (laughs) And I don't think he's really a guy who can ad lib very well. No, I I couldn't agree more. And also, I mean, has this ever been a discussion item in Congress uh, since the new regime took over? Well, I know that 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 Tom Cotton, for instance, and sending him money. Yeah, I I know that on our our side, the Tom Cotton side of the party is obviously opposed to any kind of dealing like this with Iran. I don't know what the Democrats are talking about. Pretty much the the the, the Biden administration has really taken the lead, and they're doing what they're going to do. And we can assume that the Democrats in Congress will give them cover uh, because mm-hmm. they're their fellow party. Members. But they're not going to submit so it to I, the Senate for a treaty to ratify. That will never happen. I don't think so. I don't I mean, either. Really, remember, the, the JCPOA was originally an executive agreement. Right. Uh, and so mm. they're going to argue that they don't even really need Senate confirmation That's right. to do anything. That's they right. just reenter it. That's right. And, they, and, and they, isn't that kind of frightening? Because, you know, number one, none of what they're yeah. doing right now is in the national interest. And number two, um, well, we the people, and I think most of people that believe in what we believe, uh, would not endorse or condone or want this kind of thing to happen. Right. Kind right. of a, kind of an interesting point, though, in a way, if you step back, Brandon, out of the policy world we all tend to um, work in, uh, if you just step back and ask ordinary Americans, do you think we ought to be giving Iran billions of dollars? Uh, you know, 80 percent of the people walking right. down Camelback here would say no, hell no. Right. Right. And actually, you know, the whole thing behind the Abraham Accords, remember, I taught, I brief, was briefing Kushner, Jared Kushner and his people right. in May of 2019. Uh, you know, the whole argument they were making was that, look, the Abraham Accords are going to allow us to basically step back from the region without giving up the region. We're going to hand it off to the, the Sunnis and the Israelis. Now, my friend at the, at, at the State Department was telling me that he, you know, he thinks that's a crock. And he was telling me a few days ago that, he thinks, if anything, the Abraham Accords are going to ensure that the Sunnis and the Israelis get us into a war with Iran. I don't know. I think I think that that was the best path forward, uh, you know, to, to not go to war with another Middle East country, at the same time to not just give up the region to Iran and therefore the Chinese and the Russians. We empower our traditional allies, imperfect as they are, in the Sunni Arab world and the, in the Israelis, and you create sort of a Middle East NATO designed to contain and curb Iranian power until that regime ultimately collapses, as we hope it will. Stipulating that no one wants war, it sounds to me like if it goes to worst-case scenario, the only difference between your friend and where you were is that either Israel faces a two-front war or Iran does. I'd rather Iran face a two-front war than Israel. I agree. I I agree. I agree. My friend is more of a libertarian and doesn't want us involved anywhere. I think it's ironic, but... uh, you know, I, my my view is uh, my view is we've got we can't we got to dance with the ones who brought us, and uh, you know we still need the Middle East to a point, not as much as we did before, but as long as the world's oil supply is being pulled from there, and you've got all those oil transit choke points, the Strait of Hormuz, Bab el Mandeb, 
uh, all the pipelines, and you've got Russia now intervening in China, we've got to have a hand there as well. And I, we have a lot of friends there who want us to back them. I mean, the crazy thing is, both Netanyahu's regime and MBS's regime in Saudi Arabia, they don't want Americans patrolling the streets of, of Middle East countries. Right. They just want the Americans to give them all the things they need to do the fighting and dying for us. So I'm content with that. This was FDR's idea when he was talking about the arsenal of democracy. You know, this is this goes back to an old Democrat idea, and we should be doing it. Give them the weapons and tools they need to defend themselves and our interests without having to commit much American treasure and blood. And do we have an intelligence community, a CIA or any other kind of community that can be on the ground helping dissidents in Iran, or is it so sure. decimated at this point that we cannot? Well, so that's the issue is that, as you know, since 9-11, the, the human intelligence yeah. capability of the United States has never been really restored to its Cold War era uh, tempo. And, uh, you know, our, our human capability is a disaster. Uh, Iran, like China, is opaque uh, because we don't have people going in there the way we sent people into the former Soviet Union to kind of stir the, the, the crap pot. Uh, and so... Uh, you know, we have these intelligence agencies, but I'm very, very skeptical of our ability to generate human intelligence the way that we used to in the Cold War. I think actually that our, I think the Saudis, I think the, the, the UAE, the Jordanians, the Israelis, Mossad, obviously, these are groups that are much more competent and capable of actually building out human intelligence networks. So what we should be doing is partnering with them even more than we are and sort of augmenting ourselves by working with them on the ground. I mean, ultimately, this all goes back to our dance partners in the region. And we've been very bad dance partners to them over the last decade. And we need to start recognizing that if they feel like we're abandoning them, they're going to do some crazy stuff. And they're going to end up getting us sucked into a much bigger problem than what we're trying to avoid right now. Brandon Weikert, you're the best. I'm going to have us leave it there till next week. Okay, brother? Thank you. God bless All you, right. sir. All right. I'll talk to you next week. You bet. His book is Winning Space. His website, theweikertreport.com. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I take it every single day, and that's balance of nature. I know I'm doing something good for myself. I know I'm giving myself natural energy based on fruits and vegetables, and I know I'm boosting my immunity with 10 servings of fruits and vegetables. That's how much you get from a daily dose, just one daily dose from balance of nature. Vegetarian capsules, if you don't like swallowing them, which I think they're easy to do, but some people don't. They're meant deliberately to easily open up and sprinkle in a drink or on food. And uh, when you do, you get those tens of thousands of vital nutrients from apples and cherries and oranges and papaya and cayenne pepper and spinach. It is the most effective fruit and vegetable supplement on the market. I don't even like saying supplement because it's made directly and right from fruits and vegetables. All natural vine ripened fruits and veggies picked at their peak of ripeness. No sugars, no chemicals, no GMOs, and they have a great deal. Free shipping and 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. I haven't been sick in over a year since I started taking it, and I attribute it to Balance of Nature. I'd like you to do the same. Go to balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE or give them a call at 800 800- Two four six eight seven fifty one. Also use the discount code BALANCE to get free shipping and 35% off your new preferred order. Jeff is in Phoenix. Hello, Jeff. 
Hey, Seth, how you doing? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing great. Hey, uh, I'm a no-vacciner. Never will. Never going to take that vaccine. Is that um, all vaccines or just the, the current COVID vaccines? Well, I, I had some when I was a child. Uh, I, I'm now 57 years old, so I don't think there's any. I don't take the flu shot. I, I've never done that. Yeah. So, um, now, what's your? I, I'm curious what most people's main reasoning is. Someone I talked to earlier today about, they said, oh, they're probably about 42. They said they weren't going to take it. I said, why? And they said, I, you know, I just, I, 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 you know, I, I've read enough about it to realize that if I get COVID, I get COVID. Um, and uh, I don't have any, I mean, I'm in relatively good shape and I, I know what I'm getting with, you know, I, I, I just don't know what I'm getting. He just doesn't trust that he won't get side effects. Well, I don't trust any pharmaceuticals anymore that, because I think there's side effects to everything. And it's the obvious point because they read you the litany of things or you have to look at the label and read the litany of things of any, almost anything you take. But the reason behind the, the vaccine for me, uh, I won't be taking it, is primarily uh, some of them have aborted baby, baby parts in them. Um, there's one of them's uh, gene therapy. It's not a vaccine. There's all kinds of things out there that are going on with this stuff. Um, the fact that it was made so rapidly, um, yeah, I, I, I know. I, I've heard that aborted baby parts thing. I think that's debunked. Uh, you tell me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure I read that that was not true. But there's a lot of they, – they, they, they don't, compo- they don't uh, contain aborted fetal cells. But there are a lot of other reasons too, and um, side effects is a big one. I'm just curious what people's thinking is, whether they're anxious and forget uh, – whether they're anxious and excited to get it or not. I'm just curious to know. I certainly don't think we should be t- shaming each other into getting it or not. Uh, I'm totally curious as to the reasons for and not, though. We'll be right back.